You know, what, what really catapulted me was joining a team of people that were really successful and just, I go, listen, I'm gonna do the things that you suck at, I've seen you do it. I'll do all the shitty work, because I'm used to doing shitty work, and I'll do the stuff you're not good at, I'll create success in that role, and then you'll pay me out, you'll pay me good. So, uh, I just, that's how I started, and I, I got, I, I go into these guys' office, they had like 30 loans closing in a month, I'm like, oh my gosh, I had a, I had a pipeline of three loans closing in 90 days, <laughs> and 10 potentials that were shitty, like, not shitty people, just bad loans. And I'm like, how do you guys have a pipeline so big? Like, I just want to, under, I want to learn. So I, I, I learned how to find mentors, and that was uh, that was huge for me. So, so tell me, how old were you when you first started doing that, the fisherman? Uh, I went on. I, I have a picture when I was four years old. My dad took out, took me out fishing. We got a, a limit of, you know, a limit back then was six six salmon, and uh, so I was four. First time I ever went fishing. My dad, um, my dad always had a job. Like he always used to make the joke. He's like, I've always had a job since I was 12 years old. And I'm like, okay. So when I turned 12, I realized that he was not joking. Like <laughs> 12 years old, got on the boat. And it's all I wanted to do. Cause I, I, I was raised by my grandparents. As you know, my mom, drug addict, you know, drug dealer. Um, I, like what a blessing my grandparents stepped in but my dad always was there trying to create a relationship and and like we bonded in in you know in fishing right like um you know so 12 years old started working working on the boat and then um eighth grade my summer of eighth grade year going into high school was like okay it's time to really step it up and then uh, all four years of high school at least three, well, I was at college for four. I got two done, but uh, three years in college. And um, those summers I worked uh, 90 days straight <clears throat> until until I was, my dad fired me when I was a junior in high school. Best summer I ever had. <laughs> Didn't make any money. What did you do to summer. piss him off for him to fire you? Uh, I just, I hate, like, well, <clears throat> crazy story is that in that time, um, we were, you know, my dad was just a hard ass and, 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 and I, I'm grateful for it today, but I didn't want to get up early. You know, you go fishing, you get up at four 30, you get off the boat at four 30. It's a 12, 14, 15 hour day. When people say they work 60 hours a week, they're full of shit because I've worked 60 hours a week. And I know that the people that are talking to me, they're not saying, oh, I work 60 hours. Fuck you. You do not work 60 hours a week. I've worked 60 hours a week. It is, it's not, there's no pride in that. I'm not proud. I'm proud that I put the work in. I'm proud that I learned the lessons of how to show up. But the truth is, is my old man, he has worked 60 hours a week, at least six hours, uh, excuse me, six, 60, six days a week, 60 hours a week. And since he was 12 years old, up until like last year, he just retired finally. Wow. And, um, so for me like i really took pride in working hard but that summer i was i was ready to tell my dad to go fuck himself like i was done with this i didn't want to be responsible i wanted to just have fun just like every all my friends and crazy thing is i showed up um i remember uh showed up one one morning and i was like dad like my balls hurt <laughs> and he's like oh it's just because you didn't get any last night you're fine it's just blue balls I'm like no like legitimately there's something wrong and uh, he's like, 
no, okay. I'm like, I'm literally, I'm leaving. I got to go to the hospital. He's like, that's bullshit. If you leave the boat today, you're, you're off the boat. You don't get your job. All right, whatever. Went to, went to, uh, the doctor and, um, I had a hernia, but my grandparents were like, Hey, we got to go, you know, like, let's make sure it's just a hernia, right? Like it's Astoria doctors. No offense if you're from Astoria, you know what I'm talking about. They're not the best. (laughs) So, uh, on Wednesday, I had a hernia. I go to a specialist on Thursday. I have testicular cancer. So, uh, cancer Thursday, literally surgery, surgery like the very next day. And it, I'm I'm 17 years old. The only people I've lost in my life, my great grandparents, died from cancer. So I'm like, I'm dying. And uh, I held that one over my dad's head for a long time. Like he showed up and he's like. I am so sorry, like, you know, and, but here's the thing. My dad is so proud of what he does the next year. I had to earn that job back. Regardless, I had cancer, like, whatever. I still had to earn that job back. Uh, so uh, that was my, that was my best, worst summer. Like, I had a lot of fun, rode a lot of jet skis, didn't make any money. Uh, I Actually, great story is uh, I went to work in the, in the restaurant and Stephanie's cabin, and I'm like, I became the host, you know, I'm like, hey, well, hey, Mo, come on in, let me get that salad for you, I got that, like, you don't even have to worry about it, I got this, my last check was negative $347, <laughs> like, the best, like, I love that story, and I came begging for my job back, but, uh, yeah, so that, uh, I worked up until, up until my junior, junior, senior, uh, would have been my fourth year of college, and uh, I just decided that I didn't want to be a fisherman. But prior to that, did you like? Was it your was your lifelong goal just to be a fisherman? Mm-hmm. Like that was the thing that you wanted. No, to No man, I was going to play in the NBA. Did? Really? Yeah. Well, that was my. Absolute. I mean, I knew I knew you could dunk. Well, no, I was going to play I, basketball. Was my <clears throat> if I don't like, I had two two goals in life. I had three actually. One, I wanted a Lamborghini or Ferrari. Didn't matter either one. Rich to me meant I didn't wear the same pair of socks more than one time. <laughs> I've told you that story. Mm-hmm. And then three was to play in the NBA. I thought if I played in the NBA, I could drive the Lamborghini and not have to wear the same socks. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, I, I, I yeah. So, I, so you always aspired to be more. You wanted to get out of, I guess, the small town. You wanted to get out of whatever it was that was created that... <clears throat> that had kind of stuck over you, like with your family. For your instance, like your father, whether he believed that he wanted to do that for the rest of his life or not, maybe in his mind he thought that subconsciously he was stuck doing that because he sure. had no other choice. Yeah, I, my dad was caught up in, like, loyalty runs deep, you know. He's yeah. loyal to my grandfather. My grandfather was a very successful entrepreneur. Um, he started, he's from Montana, when he was uh, 16 years old, he bought a school bus because they didn't have school buses in Montana. Bought a school bus, had the, the school um, paid him to pick kids up and uh, drive around. And like that was his very first entrepreneurial moment. And then he moved out to the coast and bought a, a movie theater and started the first movie theater in Hammond or Warrenton, Oregon, small town out the coast. And this old guy, Leo Bushnell, I, I remember him. Um, took uh took my grandfather out in the ocean one day he came back said i'm i'm selling my movie th- i'm selling the theater i'm buying a boat like he fell in love with the ocean and that was in the uh early 50s 
or it might have been early, uh, 1943, I think my grandfather came in and my dad was, you know, born in 58. So it was sometime in between that. Mm-hmm. But when I grew up, it was in this, you know, I, I was born in 82, you know, six, seven, eight years old. I remember my grandfather was like well-respected, um, was a land mogul, had like owned property all over the place. And we'd go to, he started the crab festival, the crab and wine festival. He, he was part of the board that started that whole thing. It's very big in Oregon now. And uh, I just remember growing up and going in and there'd be 50 people lined up getting ready to go on the boats and he'd be out there greeting all the people. And my dad was just always, always in the background doing all the grunt work. And my dad was an employee mindset. He, he's like, I, I, you know, like I said, loyalty. He was loyal to my grandfather and he always had hoped that my grandpa would teach him how to run a business. This was your father's father? My, yeah, my grandfather. And so my dad... My dad knew how to work hard. He knew how to run a, run a boat. He knew how to keep things in check. But when my grandfather got sick, uh, he, my grandpa never taught him how to run a business. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know where I was going with that, but what was the question? <laughs> the question that I was asking was, did you, did you feel like your father maybe was mm. subconsciously stuck? I think so. I, and yeah. I, I, that's where I was, like loyalty to my grandpa. You know, he wanted... Uh, he, he wanted um, nothing but to make him proud. You know, my grandpa was really old school mm-hmm. and just wanted to make him proud. Um, but <clears throat> what happened in, in I want to say it was 1996, my grandpa passed away or was, you know, on his deathbed. And he's like, hey, I, didn't, I did not set things up for you. And um, in, in that time, inheritance tax was a, 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 an issue. And when he passed away, he didn't have a will. So he, you know, as, as much success as he created, he really didn't set things up, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the IRS came in and took, we had six boats. They took four out of, out of the six boats, had to sell all of his properties and all that just to pay inheritance tax alone. So wow. all of their inheritance, all of that he worked for all these 50 years went to the IRS. My God. And, um, you know, my dad ended up, taking one boat and a piece of property and that's where we started Charlton well he started Charlton uh Charlton Deep Sea Charters which it was Warrington Deep Sea was the the company back in the day so I think that um it was comfortable for my dad like that's what he knew there's if you want to go across the Columbia River bar the most treacherous bar in the in the whole world more deaths more I don't care if you if you're fishing in Alaska and doing any of that shit more people have died on the Columbia River bar than any bar in the whole world uh, my dad, we've been through some hairy shit, and there's nobody better. Uh, but again, it, I think that he it was just like pure loyalty to his to to my grandfather. Like he always wanted to just make him proud. So then, what what happened during? I guess what happened during like high school that you're like, I want a Lamborghini or a Ferrari. I want to be able to Dude, buy that was this. Way before that. That was way before that. Yeah. Okay. So my grandmother. <laughs> She always told me I could do anything I want. You can do anything you want to do, like legitimately. And I just, I can remember, I don't remember specifically, but like, I just remember like Lambert, well, I know what it was. It was uh, vanilla ice, mm-hmm. right? So he always rode motor, motorcycles and, you know, ice ice baby and all that stuff. But he had a white Lamborghini. There was a video, he had a white Lamborghini Countach. I love that car. I'm like, man, I'm going to have one of those. 
And my grandma's like, you absolutely will. Absolutely. I guarantee you'll have one of those. And so I draw that car. Like I had a six by three poster. Like I would look at that car and I could, I could, like I memorized it. I just fell in love with that car specifically. Um, so I just, she always gave me the, like the confidence is like, you can literally do anything you want to do. And you know, she, so I think that's where it stemmed from. And I had, so like growing up, I had my dad who was very flashy. My dad, you know, my, we had money. My grand, my, my, my dad said had money. So my dad always had, you know, nice stuff. He had all the cool stuff. Like, so I get the flashy side from my dad, but then my grandparents were like very frugal, mm. but they also were dreamers. Like they didn't dream. So they dreamed through me. And I think that, I mean, I know that that was a big piece. They just instilled that, like, you can have whatever you want as long as you're willing to work hard. And I saw both my grandparents, grandfather and grandmother and dad, like, they worked their asses off. So I was blessed to have the, you know, great role models to teach me how to, what it looks like to work hard. So, you know, I had no problem working seven days a week. I had no problem giving up my, my, uh, you know, the summers and having fun. And I also, I had a big fucking problem when people would say you're spoiled. Cause I'm like, fuck you, man. You have no idea the 90 days that I was working and you were out fucking off. I was working 12 hour days and I have a stack of cash, you know, at the end of the summer, I'm like, yeah, bought my truck for cash, lifted my truck, did all this stuff like, Oh, mommy's boy. Fuck you, man. That is not the, you have no idea. Well, that's the thing. So I think the <laughs> biggest, the, the, whether it be generational, whether it be cultural, um, it doesn't matter. But you started at 12 years old working your ass off, starting to learn the discipline of understanding what it is to work hard. Whereas in today's society, we have the expectation, mm-hmm. right? Most kids, they're expected. We expect to have a certain amount of money every single month, whatever being allowance, whatever the case may be. I expect to get that job. I expect to get that promotion. It's a mentality that to me has been fucking disgusting in my opinion, but, sure. but that's not to say that everybody's like that, but it is a staple in society that I'm recognizing as a, as a trend, right? So do you think you would have seen yourself become as successful as you are today if your father hadn't essentially got you on at such an early age to develop that discipline, develop that tenacity and that grit to be able to actually withstand the world as it is versus what it potentially could be. Absolutely not. (laughs) Like that's a, um, you, you know, we created, I, I created something that was inside of me that like, there was just this, this drive Mm -hmm. being out in the ocean, getting your ass kicked in the winter. Like there's nothing more, I hate it. I hated it. Every day I hated it. Like I knew I had to get up, but I, I would show up because my dad, I knew my dad was going to be there before me. He's going to be there warming up the boat. So absolutely not. Like it was, I was committed to my dad first and then the job next. And that's how he was. That's how he, you know, he showed up. He was committed to my grandfather first job second. But the only thing that like, I think my grand, I think my dad, um, there's a couple of times he, he's told me the story where like, I think my grandfather maybe told him he loved him one time or twice, you know, and, and what, what stood out more than that was the one time he said, I'm proud of you. And that was like on his deathbed, you know? And so, um, 
that just that that spoke to me a lot because my dad told me that story a lot. I just wanted my dad to be proud of me. Like I knew he loved me because he was very good at telling me he loved me. But I always wanted him to be proud of me. So showing up, working my ass off, dude, I took that I took that very seriously. And absolutely, if you want to be successful, you have to have work ethic. I don't give a shit how skilled you are. If you don't have work ethic, you're not gonna. You won't. You will not do it. It's way too fucking hard to create success if you don't want to work hard. Like just that's that's. So the answer is absolutely not, or absolute yes. <laughs> so yes, hard, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, right? Hundred percent. So, so let's fast forward to your young adult life, where you were in the construction industry, mm-hmm. and you you said that there was a there was a time where you had a lot of consistent work, but then it got a little bit inconsistent, <laughs> which led you to getting into the industry that you are in now. Yeah. The biggest thing is, I feel like, outside of um, maybe scarcity, outside of just the pure need to be able to have consistency and income and being able to provide, was there anything that just tipped you off into saying, this is it, like, I need to make a decision now, something has to change, I can't keep doing this anymore? Mm. What was it that, what, what kind of shift did you have in your mind, or were you just completely thinking logically, saying, I need to fucking do something? It wasn't logic. <laughs> So I, I, I dropped out of college. I was there for four years. I was getting in trouble. Got arrested um, a couple times. And um, I'm like, you know, either I'm going to end up in jail. <laughs> I'm not going to finish school. I know that. Mm. Um, so I left. And I knew I didn't want to go fishing because I hated fi- Like, I love my dad, but I hated fishing. Yeah. I, it, like I said, it was, it was, not, it was not my... <laughs> I hated it. So my grandfather was uh, a lineman, so he worked in the power company for mm-hmm. 30 years, and he had started, he retired from that in Astoria and drove my, I think I was like 14 or 15 years old, all through my high school. High school, He would drive to Portland, just two hours away every morning, two hours away, drive to Portland, do his work, come back home. Because that was, you know, he retired from one job, but he wasn't done. Mm-hmm. And I called him, I remember it was like May. I'm like, hey, I, I, I don't want to go fishing. I'm not going to finish college. And they had put me through college, by the way. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that was I'm like a big blow. I'm sorry for not, I don't, want to, I don't want to finish college, but I want to do what you do. Like, I, I, like the, the life that you provided for me as a kid, like, I want to know what you know. I, don't, I know I don't want to go fishing, so what can I do? He goes, go get your CDL and we'll talk about it. So within a week, I had passed all my CDL stuff. I'm like, all right, the only thing I need is a truck because I, I can't, I don't have a CDL truck. He's like, wow, you're really, I'm like, yeah, I am not going fishing. <laughs> and so um, uh, that was like, I think I was, I don't even know, 2005. So it was whatever, um, 24 or something like that, but 23 years old. And um I'm like, it's only going to be a summer. I'm going to go back to school. I really want to finish college. I want to finish what I started. I didn't show up. I took it for granted. Um, and, and my excuse, and, and I think it's a, it's a valid excuse, but is that I worked my ass off every summer of until the one summer I got fired and through college. I never got a chance to have fun. When I went to college, I went crazy. Like I just partied and had a good time. And I was really like, I'm not, I could always wing it, you know, and get C's. And so I got through college for a couple of years pretty good. And then I got into Economic theory, I remember that that class kicked my ass three times. I failed it, but 
I was like, oh shit, I actually have to, I have to try now. And, I didn't and now you're in the mortgage industry. Well, yeah, but I, <laughs> but I got into construction because I like, you know, I thought that was something that he, right. That he wanted me to do. And I did it and I worked with incredible people. And you said there was consistency in work. So for five years, it was a, it was a summer job that turned into a seven years or uh, I always say seven, like my team's always like oh, seven years. We've been working together seven, but, um, I got it. I started as a laborer and worked my way up to superintendent of a, of a drilling company. Uh, so like I just would work with great people and they're like, and I, and at this time I started, I had this very wealthy guy who started, he was one of the founders of Sprint who went fishing on my dad's boat and he gave me the book, Think and Grow Rich. He's like, read this book. I read it three times and I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. Like what's the, you know, that whole book, it talks about when, when you know, you'll know the message will come to you when it comes to you. I'm like, this is bullshit. (laughs) But this guy just had a, you know, um, and I, I, uh, I just, I started reading and and I got into Robert Kiyosaki, rich dad, poor dad, like started looking at how can I become a real estate investor and I'd be talking about this with all the construction guys and they're like, why do you want it? Like, dude, you got a great job. You're making 18 bucks an hour. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I know, like I could pay my truck payment on the first week, pay my rent the second week, pay my credit card bill the third week, and then I can drink with the rest. And as long as I had 10 bucks in the bank, I was like, we're good. If I'm not overdrawn, we're good, man. <laughs> you know, so, um, but I, these guys were like, don't work too hard. You're going to work yourself out of a job. Why do you want to be a leader? Why do you want to become a, a foreman? Like, I'm content. I'm like, I'm not, man. I, I, I go, I respect that you're content, but fuck that. That is like your life. I, I think it works for you. That is not the life I want to live. Like, mm-hmm. I seriously still want that Countach in the garage. And they didn't make it then. So I'm like, shit, it's got to be a Diablo. But so I just always had this this drive to to want to, be, to do more. Like, I didn't want to be, I just content. The word content, if you ask my wife now, she's got a much different uh, definition. But when I heard content, it was like, I'm going to settle. And I hated that. I'm like, I'm not going to settle for anything. So uh, I was blessed to get laid off one one weekend. And I met, uh, I had some friends that were going to school at BYU. And they're like, hey, you seem like a good leader. Will you come come out this summer and... uh, sell satellite dishes door to door. I'm like, what? Okay, cool. And I had just met my wife. Like I met her like two months before that. And I'm like, hey, I know it sounds crazy. I'm gonna move to, um, we were gonna go to Tennessee. We're gonna go to Nashville or or somewhere in Tennessee. I don't think it was Nashville. That would have been way too cool. Um, And I'm like, hey, you wanna go to Tennessee with me? She's like, yeah. Like, oh shit, okay, cool. So I quit my (laughs) job and uh, I went to Nashville and we're driving to, we're in South Dakota on the way to Nashville and they, they, this company calls us. So I quit my construction job, my safe job. I had three days off in like four years, like in construction, that's almost unheard of. Right. So, you know, we had a really high producing team, uh, in construction. Um, we had the highest profiting group, my group, like we would make the most money per foot. So we used to drill in whatever, but we'd, I was proud of that. Like we we go out and kick everybody's ass, and so 
backing up the story is that I used to be the tester for these this machine. I'm pretty good at operating machinery, so drilling. I just got into drilling, started crushing it, and then fast forward to meeting that guy. He's like, "Hey, you can make forty thousand bucks this summer if you go out and work the whole summer." And I was making about sixty grand a year, and I'm like, "Oh, that's amazing! Let's do it." So I met this beautiful woman, and I'm like, "Hey." Let's do it. And she's like, well, I'm down. I've never been to Tennessee. I'm like, Fuck. I'm sold. I was already sold. Like I was already going to marry her. So she didn't know it yet. But we ended up in um, South Dakota. They call us and they're like, hey, you're not going to Nashville now. Nashville now you're going to uh, Indiana, a little town called Fort Wayne. I'm like, okay. I mean, that seems weird. Like we literally like uprooted our whole lives to move to Nashville and sell for you guys, but you're changing it when we're midway, but whatever. So we get there and um, it was a nightmare. <laughs> we lost our ass, but I learned a lot. And uh, I learned that I could drive 26 hours straight <laughs> with because I couldn't afford to pull over. And uh, I was listening to Jim Rohn, um, <laughs> Brian Trace, like I had all these things and I could just remember I could, I was hearing Jim Rome's voice speaking to me while I'm driving through the desert and it was just like this one like black hole and my wife sleeping, wasn't my wife at the time, but she slept literally, I don't know how she slept for 26 hours, but she did. <laughs> and she goes, Hey, we get to, we, we had, we gave up, we get to Eastern Oregon. She goes, Hey, I think I should drive. And we drove from Fort Wayne, Indiana to Oregon and she goes it's my turn to drive I'm like oh thank god because I don't know how we made it this far the last eight hours four states I don't remember <laughs> but, so I go off on tangents and I, I forgot what your question was that's all right the, you, you pretty much but, summed, summed it up but but going back to the primary question which was how at one point did you realize that you wanted to shift into the mortgage industry and then what was it that triggered you into doing that? So you've had this negative uh, situation that taught you a lesson. Which moving, one? The one about mm. Tennessee. Um, I didn't look at it. So here's what happened. We got home. Uh -huh. We moved back to Astoria. Moved in with my grandparents. It was 2007. And I told my dad, hey, dad, I'm gonna, I want to crab for you. I've never crabbed. A, so I went back to fishing. Okay. And uh, it was 2007. And he goes, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I want to, like, let me give it a shot. I've never given, I always worked in the summer. I never worked in the winter. I'm like, you know what? Like, let's do it. I w it was all ego and pride because I didn't want to go back to the construction company that, because all these guys said, you're going to fail. Why would you give up something that's consistent to go do something that there's, you know, it's, it's not guaranteed. I'm like, because I can always come back to this. But I was so proud because I told those guys to fuck off. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go make a million bucks. I'm going to roll up in here in my whatever. And you're going to be like, oh, damn, he was right. And I failed miserably because I, I aligned myself with the wrong company. Mm -hmm. But the lessons that came from that were like so valuable. But I went back home and God happened to give us the worst storm of all time in 2007. So... Like definitely it was, it was divine that I was not supposed to be a fisherman. Like we went out and we got two deliveries in and storm came. We had uh 40 foot, like we're on a 50 foot boat, 40 foot swells. So that's a 40 foot wave, mm -hmm. but you're not counting when you go into the trough. So it's 80 feet down. 
Damn. You're looking in the wall of water. Um, and that we came in over that and we lost, it was the worst year ever of crabbing. <laughs> so like I said, like there was a, a few opportunities for me to go back and go back into that business just because like that was comfortable. And like, I got smacked in the face every time. And even my dad was like, Hey, you, you can't do this. Like I, you just can't not, well, he would say you're better than this. I'm like, better than anything. Like I want to do this with you. He's like, don't do it. So I went back to construction. So he tried to deter you. Oh yeah. He, he, he's like, he loved the ocean. Like he still loves the ocean. I'm like, I hate the ocean, but he's like, I know it's like, this is not a way to, this will not get you to where you want to go. And he goes, I wish I could teach you. I wish I could give you the skills that, that his dad had. Cause I saw that, like I saw what it, lo it looked like to be, you know, follow your dreams and create something just to create something and, and then give back to the community. Like he was super involved in the community. And I was, I wish like if I could turn back time, I wish I would have been old enough to understand all the, the gifts that he gave us as, as grandchildren, you know, cause he poured into us, but we were so young, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah. So we, my dad always wanted, he never wanted me to go fishing. Like he was so proud of me to come back and do it. But when he's, I remember like, I think it was like April, usually crab seasons go from December to June. He's like, you got to leave. Like you can't make it. You got to go do something else. So I, I went back and got my job back at construction. And, uh, a couple years into that we started. Yeah. So, um, got back into construction and my wife started competing in, she was my wife at that time. <laughs> so she started competing in bodybuilding and or women's figure and bikini. And then we joined a team and there was five realtors, of course, and uh, one lender on that team. And uh, I, I had still continued to try to invest in real estate, got into, you know, this is pre-crash. So we're trying to do all this stuff and crash comes 08. There's a ton of opportunity for these short sales and all this stuff. So I, again, I bought into a company. I spent like $2,700. I had 2,800 bucks in the bank to, to buy into this company and to teach me how to buy short sales and find these. And I found multiple opportunities and try to do this and all the while working construction. Cause I knew I didn't want to do construction, but it was, it was good money. And, uh, yeah. So I did that for another three or four years, 2010. Um, I took a job, uh, downtown Portland. And I said, Hey, I told Colby, I'm like, Hey, this is my last job. I'm going to get either become a realtor. Or I'm going to get into something else. And I interviewed a bunch of real estate agents and they're like, Hey, when you get your license, we'll hire you hundred percent. And I was like, fuck, I'm a big deal. <laughs> you know, like these guys want me, I'm going to crush it. And I didn't know, you know, I had no idea. Like I didn't cost them anything. If I got mm -hmm. my license, it's just, if I do something, they're going to benefit. So I went back, I'm like, going to get my real estate license. And the team we were on for bodybuilding, they were like, uh, well, yeah, you could do, you're going to do great. And then this, this lender, her name's Annie. She's like, why don't you come check out what we do? So I went to college for business and finance. Um, drop, got kicked out of business. So I went to economics. I thought that was the cl next closest thing to business. And it, it was, but it was way harder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I failed out of that too. But I've always had, I always wanted to understand money and how that works and how to create oppor like turn opportunity into to money. Because mm -hmm. I still wanted the Ferrari or the Lambo. I've since learned that I don't fit in Lamborghinis. So mm. I like Ferraris. But 
So I'm still working on that one. But um, we, uh, I talked to that lady and she goes, come check me, check out what we do in, in lending. And I went with her and I'm like, man, this seems so much more up my alley. So uh, I came home that, like after doing that job shadow and I go, babe, I'm gonna become a loan officer. Um, there's people that are less skilled than I am. There's a lot of people getting it because it was after the crash. Like mm-hmm. 60% of the loan officers got out of the business. And I'm like, if I can do it now, I'll, do, I'll be successful regardless. She goes, oh, awesome, I support you. Like she's always, I could say we're gonna go <laughs> like, like Sebastian would say, sell ice to Eskimo. She'd be like, you're gonna do it. Like she's always been my biggest fan. So I was like, all right. So I took that. Um, she's always been that way from day one. Yeah, I mean, she moved to Nashville, which we didn't, we were in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Mm-hmm. She's like, ah, whatever. She, she dropped out of FITM. Like that's a very prestigious uh, uh, fashion design school in LA. She got accepted to, LA, uh, to FITM when I met her and I always say she thought I was rich because I always had a nice truck. Like, I always liked nice things. So I always had a nice truck, but I was broke. And I rolled up in that coffee shop that she owned, and I'm like, she thought I was rich. But I'm like, hey, you're not going to L.A. You're going to move with me. So I ruined that for her. So I've been trying to make up for that one for a while. But, uh, yeah, so we, uh, (laughs) I took a job, and it was the highest paying uh, construction job I ever had. So I was making like 57 bucks an hour working 60 hours a week. So I was back to working my ass off and making good money and, uh, studying for your license. And I, in, cause I was a machine operator. This job just happened to be every hour. I'd only work for like 10 minutes, like actually mach- run the machine for 10 minutes. So I was reading books, like I'm reading books on mortgage. I was reading books on real estate. Uh, one book that really spoke to me was, um, missed fortune by Douglas Andrew. And it, it, it talked about how to utilize your mortgage to create financial wealth with all these insurance vehicles and all of that stuff was pre-crash. So it, it still works, but it was a lot different. But I was like, oh shit, this is how I'm gonna do it. Like I'm gonna create my real estate company by doing loans. And so uh, finished up that job, got my license, went to work with the lady that introduced me and got in there and I'm like, all right, we're gonna, it's, I'm gonna make it, you know? and guy that was training me first weekend got trained up second week guy was training me quit that's weird next week the other guy that was training me quit <laughs> so by the third or fourth week there was just me the lady that recruited me an assistant and me and i'm like what's going on like we're in trouble here i think and um all they taught me the one thing that they taught me was go network you know so i met this guy named james who was a uh, Financial advisor, crazy, you know James, mm-hmm. stinky James, mm-hmm. and um, he's like he used to be a mortgage coach. He used to coach people in mortgage lending, and uh, at that time I was in pretty good shape because I was competing in bodybuilding. He's like, hey, you're in good shape. How can we? How can I learn from you? I'm like, well, what do you do? And he's like, well, I used to coach mortgage people. I'm like, holy shit, you can teach me in mortgage, and I'll teach you how to get in shape. Deal? Yeah, cool. So he taught me, and he's like, hey. Um, let me look at your contract. And I was like, okay. He goes, oh, if this was me, I'd shoot myself in the head. You're getting fucked right now. You should not be there. It's the worst deal. This is not the company for you. I'm like, great. Well, I quit a $150,000 job a year, whatever, to 
bet everything. My wife's believing in me on this one deal. And I don't blame them for that. Like they, they, it was a good deal now looking back, Mm. but from his eyes, he knew that they weren't giving me what I, what I should have to create success. And he goes, I'm going to set up six interviews for you with people I know. And, uh, so about three months in, I left my first company and went to another company and I did my due diligence then. And, uh, I walked into, <laughs> I still work with this guy. His name is Patrick. I walked in and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to be your top loan officer. He goes, really? How many loans do you close? I said three in, in three months. I said, well, that ain't going to happen, bud. I'm like, okay, you give me a shot. He's like, yeah. <laughs> All right. So he, <laughs> He, you know, I was like, all right, I'm going to make a million dollars this year. And he's like, good luck. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's going to happen. So there's, yeah. Um, so that was kind of like the transition getting into mortgage. And first year I did not make a million. I made 14,000 bucks. I left a $150,000 a year job about, I say I made a lot of money that year, but um, to make 14K. Second year, 37,000 third year I really crushed it and made 79 and then uh, I was blessed to double my income every year uh, up until about my fifth year into the business where I made a transition from that company to another company so I mean I like you 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 say when how did you create success like all of that created success like financially I always was driven to make money because I wanted the fucking Diablo. Because mm-hmm. they did stop making Kuntashes. Yeah, let's let's trickle back just real quick. So your first year you made seventeen thousand. Fourteen. Fourteen thousand. Your second year you made thirty-seven thousand. Yeah. And then your third year you made seventy-nine thousand. Yeah, I broke a hundred grand in my fourth year. Your fourth year you broke a hundred grand. The general consensus in most people is that again the instant gratification they're going to just automatically assume you yourself said that you were going to make a million dollars the first year, right? Which is what most of us do. But you, you having the ability to, to stick through it, I'm sure that first year was very, very tough. Mm-hmm. A strain on your relationship with your wife, a strain on your own mental clarity. And, and did you ever doubt yourself? Did you ever have you know, thoughts of like, am I doing the right thing? Should I go back to construction? Here's what's great. Like I would go home on the weekends and fish because that's where I could make good money. Yeah. So that's what kept you kept us afloat. But it was a great reminder that I'm like, if I don't be, if I'm not successful here, that's my next. That's where I'm gonna go. You know. Mm-hmm. So the fi- the fishing piece was always a, a constant reminder of like, hey, this is waiting for you if you don't if you're not successful. So I did everything that I could to um, definitely not go back mm-hmm. and. You know, what What really catapulted me was joining a team of people that were really successful and just, I go, listen, I'm going to do the things that you suck at. I've seen you do it. I'll do all the shitty work because I'm used to doing shitty work and I'll do the stuff you're not good at. I'll create success in that role and then you'll pay me out. You'll pay me good. So uh, I just, that's how I started. And I, I got, I, I go into these guys' office, they had like 30 loans closing in a month. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I had a, I had a pipeline of, three loans closing in 90 days and 10 potentials that were shitty, like not shitty people, just bad loans. And I'm like, how do you guys have a pipeline so big? Like, I just want to, under, I want to learn. So I, I, I learned how to find mentors and that was, uh, that was huge for me. And that's also what, you know, fast forward to today, 
that's what's created, in my opinion, has created the, the success that we've experienced is that I define success in how much impact we make in people's lives, not how much money we make. Now, I like to make money because I still don't have the Countach because they're hard to find now, especially. But I don't have all that. And it wasn't, it, I was in pursuit of money for a long time. Mm-hmm. I define success in how many, how many lives we can create impact in. And we create impact in multiple ways. One with our business partners, one with the people that we're actually doing the loans for. And then most importantly, the people that are raising their hand and saying, hey, I want you to help me get to where you're at. And that's where I love what I do. Like that's where I, that's what creates fulfillment for me. And that's what's created success for me because that's where I get energy from. I get energy from saying, hey, I, you're just like me. Let me show you a few of the steps that are going to make this process not easier, but I'm going to set you up, help you set yourself up for success because I see, I know you're going to make a million this year. The truth is, if you can make 30, you're going to cru- you're going to quadruple what I would have made and you're still going to have success on that, right, you know, on the path. So I don't know. So the two very important things that you mentioned was like the one number one that really attributes to your success was surrounding yourself with the right people. What is your definition of success though? I'm curious. Like you keep my de- saying that. Yeah, yeah. So my definition of success is doing what I want to do when the fuck I want to do it. And having the ability to do that. <laughs> okay. Okay. But so I'm not successful then. You're you're very successful. I'm i I'm that's not an ego thing. I'm like I don't no. do everything I want to do. Well, no, having the ability to, to do what you want to do. Right within obviously the confines of our existence. Okay. Right. So and and that's still limiting belief, but that's. Fine. But yeah. So. <laughs> and and so for me is I'll give you I'll give you an example. If you know a family member needs a hospital bill paid for, done. Mm-hmm. If uh, tomorrow my wife decides that she wants to go to Mexico, done. Whatever the case may be, having the having a financial ability to to do that because the thing is is that most people think that money is evil right yeah that that's the mindset that i that i see versus where where money is leveraged as a tool to be able to provide a life that is enjoyable right because i don't want to have to live you know below my means and 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 almost be punished (laughs) on a day-to-day basis and then punish my family because i'm not able to provide a life that they deserve, right? And so it's not necessarily a monetary goal, it's just a a necessity of independence. Hmm. Is the way that I sure. look that I like looked that. at success. That's great. Like that's I, that's my definition. That's good. So 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 again, going back to the success thing, you were saying surrounding yourself by surrounding yourself with the right people, which I think is important because that's going to help eliminate a lot of the limiting beliefs, get you out of funks, and understand that there are people that are light years ahead of you that think a completely different way. Mm. My, like, being here today with you guys as an example is understanding that I'm not looking at things the way that I should, and everybody has a different perspective and different levels of life. So surrounding yourself with people that not necessarily are above you, but are you know, in, in different frames of mind, different paces of life, whatever the case may be, that's going to attribute a lot because you're going to get something out of it that you have never maybe potentially thought of before. Yeah. For instance, what if you come from an environment that doesn't, you don't see fancy cars, you don't see 
you know, successful people walking down the street and all of a sudden you show up at somebody's house and everybody's wearing a Rolex and you've got Lamborghinis in the driveway and they seem incredibly humble and, and talking about things that you never even thought about before. Mm. Your mind starts playing, you know, starts thinking of things differently. That's Fucks why... you up because you're like, right. I thought these people were evil. Or like, cause, cause you're... Right, yeah, yeah. right, right. One or thing drug dealers you said or should. Like, yes, yes. Don't shit on yourself. Right. Because you shouldn't do anything. But right, right. Because you, what I see in you is that you have incredible value because you speak into people's lives in the way you're, you've spoken into mine. Like you've helped me, you specifically have helped me grow, um, expand my vision of what success looks like. That's and I'm bullshit. giving you a hard time. No, it's not. I give you, I give you a hard time about financial because we always talk about being successful. Like I want to make as much money as I possibly can. Deal. That, done. I do. Yeah. And it doesn't mean thousand percent. It's not bad. But that doesn't define me. Right. Like, at, at a certain point, I'm going to say, I don't need any more, but I haven't experienced that yet. And I'm excited to, to help others create financial success because financial success creates the opportunity to do all of those other things you're talking about. Money is a vehicle mm-hmm. to get you to where you want to go. It's a vehicle to invest in people's lives. It's a vehicle to do all of these other things like t- pay for your parents' doctor bills, you know, take your family on vacation, take all of your family on vacation, which mm-hmm. was a gift that I gave my family three or four years ago. We took them all to Mexico. And like, that was one of the hardest things for them to receive. Yeah. And it, it wasn't to show off. It was just like, I just want you to understand, like, this is not for me. It's for us. Mm-hmm. Like I do certain little things. Like I like Rolexes. I like watches. Like I like stuff like that. But you know, those don't define who I am. That's just, those are like tokens for my success in my own opinion. Mm-hmm. That's how I, I like to give myself gifts because I just like gifts for myself. <laughs> I, I'm with you. <laughs> but I, I'm with you 100%. Um, but I, I just wanted to just reference back to this is that, so the first thing was talking about surrounding yourself with great people. The other thing was you were mentioning was mentorship. Mm-hmm. I think coaching is... I didn't realize personally how valuable coaching was until we really started to break through um, that that barrier, that mental block that I had. Like, what, what, why? What's the difference of me reading a book or learning from someone online versus being taught live, like on demand? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, how, how how has that affected not only your business but your personal life? Just, just being coached and finding the right mentorship. Being coached? Yeah. And why I mean, do you think like, it's important? Like you said, from a, from a business perspective, I found people that were, would teach me from a mentorship. The only thing that they taught me was mechanics. Yeah. They had zero mindset. Mm-hmm. The thing that my value to them was that I could bring mindset into that. Like, you can do this. And they, were, they had been in the industry for so long, they were just really bitter. Like, and I've been, I'm, I, I have been there, but they were at a point where they were just bitter. They're like, I hate my clients. I hate my realtors. I hate blah, 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 blah. And they're making, you know, at that time they're doing really well, pretty good financially, but they hated everything. And I'm like, well, what if we like, let's shift our mindset and let me do the stuff that you dislike so much that make you a miserable person in the office. Cause I don't like being around you either. And let me help you see like why you actually got, let me remind you of this. And so 
like as this laborer, like I came in and did all the shitty work, I also helped them with mindset. And they're like, wow, we're like, and, and like fulfillment factor went through the roof. There's our team success expanded. And, um, you know, so I, I found something in that moment, like, where I was like, man, I like, this is, this is just like having a basketball coach. Like they're helping you see yourself differently. Mm-hmm. Like you don't pivot this way. You pivot that way. If you pivot this way, use the glass, like, you know, and it's just different. They see it differently. You say, it, you're like, man, that actually worked. And then, and then all of a sudden you start scoring more buckets. You're having more fun, but it's because you're doing things, um, in a way that, that, that suits you, you know? So for me, um, I always wanted to have a coach. I had a, uh, I had a, I, I had a coach when I was fifth grade who kind of like really poured into me. He was the mayor of the town, amazing dude. And from fifth grade to eighth grade, he coached me in basketball and he, you know, he was an intense dude, but like he, I learned so much and all I ever wanted, like I, for me, I always wanted people like words of affirmation is how I feel love. Mm-hmm. So like he never really said he was proud and like a couple of times, but um, that spoke so much to me. But I also realized how much seeing somebody who like had skills and they could just share and um, like he poured into me in such a different way that I had never experienced. So I was like, man, I just want to do that at, at whatever capacity I could. Without and, asking and, for anything. In lending, return. like I didn't have the skills to create loans, but I could create relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got the job in the first place. So um, fast forwarding to today, I've always had a coach in some way, like um, whether it was, I mean, my wife has been the best coach I've ever had. You know, I mean, she's always, she sees things differently than I do. And, and it used to frustrate the hell out of me but she's always helped me see things in a different light. And so I've always had a coach since I met my wife, 13 years, four, well, what, it's been a while. <laughs> I'm married 11, but um, the biggest shift for me was um, just, I met a coach that I hired that stopped, stopped coaching me and started asking me questions. Like, it wasn't like, hey, here's the five things you need to do. When you do this, well, you know, you're going to create success. They're like, hey, what what's important to you? Like, what do you truly want? Like, why do you want to be, like, when you get to this goal, what what does that mean? What what changes for you? And they, they started to help me think differently. So I've always wanted to surround myself by people that ask really difficult questions. Mm-hmm. As uncomfortable as it is, like, I don't like, I don't like getting on stage, talking in front of people. Nobody really likes that. I mean, some people do, but it, it, it's a learned skill. It's, you know, but for me, it was, um, it was just learning how to ask questions. So coaching for me specifically though, it was, it was people that were willing to poke holes or shine light in the places that I didn't want light shined on. And that's where success in my life has come from is, is looking into the dark places that I don't really want to. I don't want to experience, I don't want to go there, uh, bring it out into the light and then realizing how much that has held me back. And then I can sit down and literally have a conversation about any of those things now because I'm comfortable with it. 
like a coach for me, that's, that's what a true coach, in my opinion, does, is they, they help you see what's limiting you and then help you also find the solution. They don't give the solution to you. And so some of my coaches have literally and physic, uh, figuratively and literally punched me in the face. And for me, I just happen to need that kind of coaching. So not everybody needs that, but that's what serves me. I love it. I love to end with this. What is one book that you would highly recommend people to read? And then one question that everybody should be asking themselves. One book. You can do five, but I'm just keeping it simple. Hmm. Uh, The Richest Man in Babylon was a very impactful book for me. And like when I read it, I wasn't, I didn't really know what faith meant to me. I didn't know, like I wasn't, I'm a Christian now, but I didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. And uh, it really put things into perspective because of the history, right? Like, you know, it's in the Bible. So that was a, that was, that book really shifted my life. Think and Grow Rich also was one that I had to read multiple times because I started, I read it when I was, I think it was 14 years old and I had no idea what it, what, what power was there. Um, and I guess a, dude, a question. What's like, a question that you? What's would ask another yourself? possibility? Like what? I mean, I've I've learned that in this year. You know, um, I have a coach currently that's helped me see. Uh, that's what this hat stands for. Like the ninety-five percent. Like, what's another possibility? What is? What's another? Like, this is what if we live our lives in default mode. If you say something that offends me, I, I just hold on to that offense as that's the reality, then I've already closed off any possibilities of anything different. And most of us live in this default state, and that's the problem with our role right now. Yeah, and I also believe that that default state creates resentment. And a wise man once said that resentment is like letting someone live inside of your head rent-free. And it just... it. it it becomes toxic and then it starts to spew slowly out of your pores at least for me yeah i love it i appreciate your time brother love you man that was awesome